0: You are Locked On Clippers, your daily Los Angeles Clippers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Locked On Clippers podcast. Today is Saturday, April 29th, 2017. We are here with a special edition, a very rare Saturday weekend episode to discuss the Clippers' ginormous Game 6 win in Utah against the Jazz, which forced tomorrow's Game 7 in Los Angeles so we'll get into the details of that we'll talk a little bit about game six a little bit about game seven I don't think we're going to go particularly long but especially because in this past week I had to cancel the Thursday episode and because it's such a huge moment between the Clippers biggest win of the season and what could be either the end of their season or their new biggest win of the season I figured we'd talk for a few minutes so first of all let's just get through game six the Clippers started off very slowly, they were down 13-22, to 22, but then they ended up playing a little better with that second unit in the end of the first quarter, pulling them to 20-22 at the end of the first period. So Doc Rivers talked about this after the game, that was actually kind of a big moment for Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan, for the bench to be able to come in and give them a little bit of life, and to actually see the margin shrink while Chris and DJ were on the bench two guys who were a big part of that in the first half were Mo Spates and Luke Mbamute. Jamal Crawford had a great game, or not great, but Jamal Crawford had a good game, but his contributions came a little more in the second half. In that first half stretch, it was Mbamute and Spates who kind of closed the gap there at the end of the first quarter and really gave the Clippers a little bit of hope. So the Clippers played better in the second quarter. They took a two-point lead into halftime, but... I tell you, I did a Facebook Live at halftime answering questions from fans, and the main thing that I noted that was holding the Clippers back was that DeAndre Jordan was not active. He had been kind of like asleep, almost comatose for the whole first half, and the Clippers came out in the second half and quickly gave away their lead. DeAndre Jordan had four turnovers in a row to start the third quarter, and I'm just thinking, I mean, you almost have to play most spates the entire second half if this is the type of player that DeAndre is going to be because DeAndre wasn't contributing defensively, he wasn't contributing offensively, and then he started coming out and giving away all these turnovers, and it was a disaster. Doc Rivers called an early timeout in the third quarter, and he was not happy. (laughs) He was, you know, kind of how I just described me not being happy. Doc Rivers was, was especially not pleased with that early third quarter stretch of turnovers. And the Clippers came out after that and took care of business. They played like a phenomenal 18-minute stretch like the last nine minutes of the third quarter and the first nine minutes of the fourth quarter around that frame the Clippers were phenomenal. They went from I believe down 2 or 4 to up 14. So in an 18-minute stretch they went plus 14. There's just a really really well executed 18 minutes. DeAndre Jordan woke up on both ends of the floor. He finished with 13 points and 18 rebounds. And it was just like everything started to come together for the Clippers in the second half. And the three things that I had talked about as being important for the Clippers were first of all, that you get the aggressive Chris Paul. And the Clippers absolutely got that in game six. He finished with 29 points on 10 of 20 shooting. And the thing about aggressive Chris Paul is it doesn't mean that he's not passing, he still had eight assists. It just means that he's looking to score and then when the defense helps, he's making the extra pass instead of deferring. So it's more of an aggressive creation than just a passive deference. That's what I was looking for from Chris Paul. That's what we got all game. DeAndre Jordan, we didn't get a complete game from him, but in the second half after that Doc Rivers timeout, we got an excellent 18 minutes from DeAndre Jordan. That was phenomenal. And then the third thing that I talked about being important for the Clippers was that as a team, they play a complete game. And for the first time this series, I thought they did. So this series has almost been marked by, you know, Chris Paul has a great game, DeAndre Jordan has a great game, one guy off the bench plays well, and no one else shows up. Or DJ didn't play that well this game, but JJ had a good game, but no one on the bench showed showed up. So they've been like two or three or four good players, and... Everyone else has been horrible. We saw the Clippers play a little bit more of a complete game as a unit in this game. Chris Paul obviously led the way. DeAndre Jordan, like I said, had a great second half, but Luke Mbamute, 13 points, 6 rebounds, huge defensive contributions. Austin Rivers, 13 points, 4 rebounds. He made three threes, including 2 huge ones in the fourth quarter. He made huge defensive contributions all game. Raymond Felton didn't Necessarily help with his scoring, but the Clippers used him in a variety of defensive settings and he was a key part of this win Jamal Crawford came on in the second half. He finished with 12 points and three assists, which again I'm not looking for each of these guys to, like all nine guys in the rotation have to set a career high But when you get solid performances from nine guys It just gives you so many more options as the game goes on rather than when you've got four good players and you can't find a fifth guy who's even capable of staying on the floor, you're going to be severely handicapped. And that's where the Clippers were, especially in game one, I thought, where they could not find a fifth player to put on the floor. In this game, Doc Rivers down the stretch had options. Paul Pierce, even as maligned as he is, and I still don't think he should have played 22 minutes, but Paul Pierce had a very solid game defensively. I think his lack of speed doesn't hurt him against Joe Johnson as it would against other offensive players because Johnson isn't quite as quick, he's a little more crafty and Pierce has a little bit of strength, but he still gets in bad situations when the Clippers are scrambling and rotating and he has to help and he's, you know, it's clear that he's not playing at an NBA level anymore. But even Pierce I thought had a a pretty decent game defensively. I thought, you know, he definitely seemed In this game, I understood, I thought he played better than, for example, Brandon Bass or Wesley Johnson would have played in that spot. Now, I'm not sure that that means that that ninth spot in the rotation should have been playing 22 minutes, playing more than J.J. Redick, more than Mo Spates, more than Raymond Felton, and Luke and Mbamute only playing 29 minutes. I'm not sure about that. But just in terms of being in the rotation, I thought it made a little bit of sense. And then Mo Spates, even though he only played 10 minutes, Doc Rivers didn't go to the two-big lineup at all in this game, but he had nine points in those 10 minutes. He lifted the offense, especially in the first half when DeAndre Jordan was struggling. And so that was big. Those three things that I'd isolated, all three swung the Clippers' way. Chris Paul was aggressive, DeAndre Jordan was energetic, and down the roster, they played a complete game. Now, they got a little bit of help, too. I mean, that's just to be, you know, to be fair and honest, the Jazz only shot 27% from three. And I'm not going to say, oh, you know, the win doesn't count because Utah had a cold shooting night because Utah all series has been shooting well above their season average from deep. So really, it's a matter of time that, that they had a cold shooting night. But that's something that's worrisome going into game seven. If Utah can get hot, then it is going to be a little bit of a different dynamic than we saw last night. But Another thing to watch that you would hope wouldn't stay constant is that the Clippers had 16 turnovers. They only forced 7 from Utah. So, you know, that that almost right there makes up the difference in 3-point shooting. The Clippers were 9 of 21. The Jazz were 7 of 26. So, those you know, those 9 extra turnovers are basically actually more impactful than a couple made and missed 3s on each end of the court. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was I thought it was the best game the Clippers played in this series. Even though Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan, that pick and roll wasn't as dominant as we saw at its peak in the second half of Game 3. As a team, I think they feel like they, fi- they finally felt settled in as a team. And I had mentioned this in a radio interview that I did this week. A big part of the reason why the Clippers have been having these dry spells in the series is that their rotation has been so all over the place all year with the injuries and guys coming in and out of the lineup, guys getting benched, different guys give, get, being given opportunities. And Doc Rivers kind of kept experimenting, even not not necessarily with the guys that were playing, although he did switch out Pierce, Bass, Wesley Johnson in the last couple of weeks of the season. But he was just experimenting with different substitution patterns right down through the last couple of weeks of the year. So we weren't consistently seeing okay, Blake is going to sub out early, these guys are going to come in, this lineup can hold their own for four minutes, Chris Paul, you know, we we weren't seeing that kind of routine. We were seeing different patterns every game, and finally, in this game, it felt like the Clippers looked like they had established a little bit of a routine, and even though they haven't played, obviously, a ton of games with this nine-man rotation, they just looked comfortable in these lineups in these different situations and they haven't always looked comfortable this series so moving into talking about a couple factors for game seven i'm going to answer a couple questions from twitter as always if you have any questions you want me to talk about on the show you can hit me up on twitter at lucasjhan you can email me lhan.clipsnation at gmail.com now i think one thing that kind of is going to make this game seven less awesome than it should be is that there's this big boulder hanging over the head of whichever team wins, which is that they're going to play Golden State starting on Tuesday. So it's almost like an awesome duel between like two great swordsmen, and then one of them has to go face a machine gun in the second round. And so we can really enjoy this awesome duel between these two swordsmen, but we also ultimately everyone in the back of their head is thinking, well, what is the sword going to do against a machine gun in the second round? But I don't want to get too much into that. If the Clippers win, we'll have time to talk about it. I really, like I talked about it in Friday's episode, I encourage everyone to just enjoy this basketball game, not worry about what's coming in the second round, not worry about the offseason and free agency. Just enjoy the basketball game, because you don't get a chance to see many Game 7s. Honestly, you don't get a chance to see many series as evenly matched as this one. There hasn't been a double-digit win, and the Clippers going into this game six, the the net point differential was zero. Both teams had scored the same amount over the course of the series. The Clippers are now plus five because they won game six by five, and they'll hope to increase that going into game seven. But it just goes to show, you know, you don't see many series that are this close, that there are no double digit wins. And I talked about this with Amar from SLC Dunk. Every time that one of these teams has thrown a punch, there's been a counterpunch. And we saw it right down to the last couple minutes of Game 6, where Utah came roaring back and cut the 14-point lead as low as 3 in the final seconds and had a shot to force overtime. So anytime there's been a punch, there's been a counterpunch. I expect that we'll see this again in Game 7, another really good, really close game. So let's enjoy it. Now, getting to a couple listener questions from Twitter... Um, any news on Gobert's ankle? Yeah so he had like a minor ankle sprain he should play I, we'll see I think it'll be more of an eye test thing if he looks limited they might play him less, but he's going to he's going to play and at least try to play even if he's hobbled. Is Austin off of his minutes restriction? Well, Austin played 35 minutes in game six so I would imagine he's off of his minutes restriction. Um, that's a that's a pretty high minutes total. who should match up against Joe Johnson and Hayward? Well, Joe Johnson, I think the Clippers will continue to use a combination of Paul Pierce and Luke Mbamute. Gordon Hayward, they used actually three guys in Game 6. They used, Joe, they used Luke Mbamute, obviously, who's been the primary defender on Hayward all series. They used Austin Rivers, who we figured when he got back and was healthy would be the secondary defender on Hayward. And then in spots, when the bench was in, they used Raymond Felton. And I think that that's a really interesting look because even though Felton is undersized, it's not like Hayward is an elite post-scorer. So while Felton isn't going to contest those pull-up jumpers as well because he's shorter than Hayward, he's not going to get bullied. And it just gives you a little bit of a different look because Felton is so so pesky and active defensively. So I kind of like throwing Felton on there for a couple possessions here and there. I think the Clippers' best defensive lineup right now is Paul, Felton, Rivers, Mbamute, Jordan and I think that's why we saw J.J. Redick's minutes get cut a little bit because Doc Rivers was just leaning on those guys that he trusts defensively and when Jamal Crawford is playing better than J.J. Redick in the second half there aren't a ton of minutes for both of those guys since neither of them has been a huge contributor on the defensive end of the floor and that's where the Clippers have been really placing their emphasis because that's where they've been struggling the most my prediction for game seven. I think the Clippers will win. Going into game six, I was not optimistic, but seeing them answer and you know really rise to the occasion, I think that they've def- they definitely showed having this big win in Utah that they're capable. And part of what I was worried about was if they were really capable, with Blake Griffin out, with how well Utah was playing, if they could really rise to the occasion, even if Chris Paul played a great game. But seeing this team kind of come together and play a complete effort, I think that they will be able to win this Game 7. I'm not saying, yeah, Clippers going away going to be a huge blowout win. I think it will be hotly contested, like I said, but I have a, an optimistic feeling going into Game 7 that I did not have going into Game 6, which, to be fair, might mean that it's time for the Clippers to crush my hopes and dreams again. Um. But yeah, I mean, I think... You know, like I, like I talked about this week, the Clippers are elite prey and they are not predators. And when their backs are against the wall, they will find a way to barely survive if they're capable of it. And in Game 6, their backs were against the wall and they really put together a great performance and found a way to survive. If the Clippers had risen to the occasion just because Game 1 was a playoff game instead of waiting until game 6 was an elimination game, the series would have been a sweep. But the Clippers did not rise to the occasion really collectively until the second half of their elimination game. So can we see them put it together in a game 7 with their backs against the wall, another elimination game? I think so. I don't think Utah I think Utah's obviously a very good team, but they're not better than the Clippers. And so the Clippers, when they really engage, should be able to win this game. Now, that doesn't mean in a one-game sample size that anything can't happen. Utah gets hot from deep like they did when these teams played in March. You know, that's probably going to be a loss for the Clippers. But in a normal game, the Clippers should be able to rise above with their backs against the wall. They play very well through adversity. They play very, very poorly from positions of strength. So it'll be interesting to see how they play against the golden state warriors in the second round if they do win this game seven because they'll be such huge underdogs which is an unusual position for them so that's going to be a very interesting um, very interesting dynamic to see how the mentality of this team responds and then the last thing i'll get to is asking for a prediction for the player rotation for game seven i think it will look a lot like game six did i think we'll see Pierce leaned on more heavily than Spates at power forward because Doc Rivers trusts Pierce more than Spates, even though Spates played well in Game 6. I think we'll see Crawford leaned on more heavily than Reddick because Doc Rivers just trusts Jamal Crawford more than he trusts J.J. Redick. But one thing that I do hope is that Luke Mbamute, whose minutes were somewhat limited by foul trouble in Game 6, will play more than 29 minutes and Pierce will play less than 22 and there will be, there'll be a little more balance because Luke Mbamute has had a pretty tremendous series. So he's a guy who you pretty much need out there on the floor. For the first half of that game six, he was the Clippers' second best player by far behind Chris Paul. He was a level above any of the other Clippers' supporting players. So for him to be playing big minutes I think is important. But yeah, I think the emphasis is going to be on Paul Rivers, Mbamute, and Jordan. I think we'll see Spates, Felton, and Pierce in relief of those four guys, and then I think we'll see a split at shooting guard between Redick and Crawford. Obviously, some minutes of them playing together, some minutes of like a Paul Felton-Rivers lineup, but generally, I'm expecting to see the big minutes emphasis go to Paul, Rivers, and Bob and Jordan, and I think given the way that this series has played out, those are the four guys that you want on the floor for 36 38 40 minutes in an elimination game okay guys that's going to do it for this saturday special edition episode of the locked on clippers podcast again enjoy the game on sunday we'll worry about what comes next after the game but for now just sit back let's watch some great basketball let's have fun in what again could be the last game that we see this clippers core play together it's been an amazing ride game six was an amazing game i'm looking forward to an amazing game seven as always, if you have any comments or questions, hit me up on Twitter at LucasJHan. Email me lhan.clipsnation at gmail.com. Go ahead and follow the Clips Nation blog at Clips Nation SBN. Check it out at ClipsNation.com. And like Clips Nation on Facebook by just typing Clips Nation into the Facebook search bar. I did a live Q&A at halftime of Game 6. I'm intending on doing another one at halftime of Game 7. So make sure you check that out. And thanks for listening, guys. This is Lucas Han signing off for Locked on Clippers. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks.